I share this story in honor of uh, Elaine. I uh, think she told me about 10 years ago it was her favorite one. I'm, I'm assuming it's, it's one of her still favorite. But uh, man and woman were talking about what it is that they were hoping to get for Christmas. You know, uh, the husband was kind of trying to uh, fish around, you know, what, what do you think you might like this year, honey? And, and her response was, I don't know, just surprise me. So Christmas morning, as she was laying there, all peaceful, on her pillow, head on her pillow, covers pulled up to her neck, he leaned over and, and looked dearly into her face and waited for her eyes to flutter open and said, Boo! <laughs> Figured he got her, got her what she wanted. <laughs> Guys, that's about... That's about on par for us, isn't it? But how that relates to God's word here this morning is that we should be surprised. We should be surprised in how the king of kings came to install, be installed as, as one who would walk among us. How he came on the scene over 2,000 years ago. And we're told of him as our unborn king. So vulnerable. So dependent. The, the definition of dependency on his creation. Dependent in both, on both his mother who carried him. And on the man that would be known as his, as his father. To choose to own him as his son. In the Gospel of Matthew, we see the significance over and over again. We will see this in the fulfillment of what it means that our king has come. That the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That the kingdom of God has come in the person of Jesus who walked as a man, the God-man. 100% God, 100% man walking this earth. You know, every good story has an arc to it. It begins with what's called the exposition. I wasn't aware of this until I researched it a little bit. The exposition. This introduces the main characters and as well as the setting and the situation that you kind of find yourself in the midst of which, as you step into the story that's been written for you. And then there's a rising action. This is the first bit of conflict that the main character faces. And, and it's leading to a climax in this story. And of course that climax is a turning point in the story where the main action takes place. And the most exciting part of the story happens. And then of course a falling action occurs after that. Where the main character begins to deal with the aftermath of, of his decisions and actions and, and what has taken place. We see that kind of over and over again in the literature that, that God chose to communicate his truth to us to. That he chose to inspire and work through earthly writers, but also write it in a way that we follow it emotionally and, and 
and our, it picks up our interest and it tells a story. And we see that over and over again in the Gospels. And there's a good amount of tension that begins Matthew's Gospel. So much is about explaining that Jesus Christ is the King of Kings and, and that he's come to introduce his kingdom. And so he is introduced, and he is introduced, uh, first of all, as we saw in the genealogy of Matthew 1, he is introduced in how he has a rightful claim to the throne of David, a legal claim through his father, Joseph. Jeremiah foretells of this, speaking of the fulfillment of the promises to King David that his heir would one day sit on his throne and never be dethroned, never step down from it. And of course, in order to be able to do that for eternity, you need an eternal king. In order for him to be able to sit on that throne, you need a human king. In order for him to be able to fulfill this promise to David, you need a king from the line of David. And Jeremiah writes in Jeremiah 23 verse 5, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. So we saw, as, as I mentioned in the first part of chapter 1, it explains Jesus' right to the throne of David, his legal right through Joseph. And after saying, and, and this, he was, this man was the father of this man, and this man was the father of this man, it gets to Jesse was the father of Joseph, and then it gives this strange description of Joseph. Joseph, the husband of Mary, the mother of whom Jesus was born. Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born. So Joseph's connection to Jesus is that he's the husband of Mary. And how does this take place? In what sort of tension, issues had to be overcome because of this? Of this, as we pointed out last week, Joseph could not be genetically the father of Jesus. For one, he was a descendant of Jeconiah who had been told that he would never have an heir that sits on the throne. But also, being the God-man, Jesus would be made of Mary's egg and the work of the Holy Spirit. So in verses 18 through 19, they, they, they really lay out the specific situation. I'm sorry, we're in Matthew 1, 18 through 19. I won't have the text up there. On scripture, so here's a test of how many of you brought your Bibles. We'll hear those flipping, and that's a good thing. Matthew 1, verses 18 through 19, lay out the specific situation of how Jesus' birth took place and how it explains that Joseph isn't the father of Jesus, but the husband of Jesus' mother. We read, now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. 
Matthew tells the story of Jesus' coming like a, a man would communicate it, right? No weight, no length. I, don't, I never understand that, but that's because I'm a man. You, know, you, you tell a lady, hey, they had a baby. How much did it weigh? I don't know. You know, Matthew is like communicating this man style. Luke is a little bit more of like, here's all the details that went along with it. But Matthew, again, is explaining how Jesus is the fulfillment of something very special. And here I believe he's getting specifically, how is it that he's the son of Mary who's just the wife of Joseph? He tells a story of like Joe Friday, you know, just the facts, ma'am. During this uh, year-long, what we would call an engagement, or what they used to be known as the betrothal, uh, the idea, I love how the, the movie Na- The Nativity uh, describes this. Mary's father basically informs her as Joseph is standing there, informs her, Mary, this is your husband. And he says, "You from this point forward, you will be understood as being husband and wife, except what would lead to children. Okay, we all know what that's code for. And, and in understanding this and in studying this, I, I learned something new from this. A large part of this is like, Joseph, so you're going to go live with your parents. Mary, you're going to go live with your parents or, or continue living with here. And Joseph, you're going to be working on your home and all of that. But part of the reason why you're going to go through this betrothal period, the understanding is, is Mary's parents are going to keep an eye on her. Joseph's parents are going to keep an eye on him. They're not going to come together sexually. And Mary's not going to come together with anybody else. And that year period, part of that is to be able to say Mary was not pregnant at any time during this period. Therefore, her offspring will belong to Joseph. Because we all know when the marriage happened and when it was consummated. But lo and behold, God throws a dilemma in here. During this betrothal period, Mary does turn up to be pregnant. You notice how it's described here. It's not Mary became pregnant. Mary was found to be pregnant. It's like this was discovered to be pregnant. But it reminds us and lets us know by the work of God, by the work of the Holy Spirit. This is told like it became clear that Mary had a baby bump and the word got around. That's what I read into the term, found to be pregnant. Joseph, being a just man, did not want it on his reputation that his fiancé wife, during the betrothal period, turned out to be pregnant. Because the parents would be like, we can tell you she wasn't hanging out with anybody but Joseph. And this would be on his reputation. This would be on his record, if you will. Seeking to bring as little public shame to Mary as possible. He didn't want to seem like he had been immoral and made this baby with her. But he also wanted to soften the blow to her reputation. Now, in the Old Testament law, there was justification for a woman to be stoned for immorality during this time, but, but also we can learn very simply that 
this was not this was very untypical for the day of of Mary's time, Mary and Joseph's time. It would have been more an issue of a mark on her reputation in, in which having been divorced under that situation, she likely would never have gotten married. And, and with the death of her parents, not only would she be an old maid, she would have no means of support. So he's trying to soften the blow of this to her reputation, to her future. So this is the tense situation that we step into at this, you know, that arc of the story, which they call the exposition. This is the tense situation that we're formed at before Matthew introduces his first dialogue. And it takes place when an angel of the Lord gives Joseph's instruction during a dream. And we read in verses 20 through 21, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. I love that statement. That says to me, Joseph wanted to, but he was conflicted. And so the angel said, don't be afraid to do it. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So from this passage, I hope to encourage you to trust your Savior, the King who saves from sin. Your Savior is the one, the King, the Anointed One, who saves from sin. God's angel makes sure that to calm Joseph's fears here, and he assures him that the pregnancy wasn't natural, but was supernatural. And the name of Mary's son was to be Jesus. In Aramaic, which is the, what, the language that they spoke in Judea at this time, the, the trade language, if you will, the, the common language. In Aramaic, it's Yeshua, or the Greek, Jesus. Both mean God is salvation. And explains the explanation that's given for his name. That's what the term for means. He will save his people from their sins. You know, 1 Peter 1.12 tells us that while the prophets were foretelling of Jesus' coming, they didn't understand what they were talking about. And it even says that the angels were unaware of this. He describes them as being, uh, as the gospel, as being of those, quote, things into which angels long to look. And not only was Joseph surprised by the prophets, the, and the prophets were surprised, the angels were surprised by Jesus' coming as a baby, but not just a baby, but a baby born to die. I thought about a song by Bebo Norman as I, was, as I was writing this, called Born to Die. And it's written from the perspective of the angels, of like, what is going on? Under that, that understanding that we have from 1 Peter 1.12, that, that these were things that angels longed to look into. And, and it says, it goes this way, and we're going we're gonna to actually listen to this song at the end of our service as we think about communion. But speaking of the angels, Bebo Norman writes, They never knew a dark night, always had the sun's light, meaning when, when Jesus 
was sitting on his throne prior to being a baby. Always had the sun's light on their face. Perfect in glory. Broken by the story of untold grace. Come that day. Majesty had come down. Glory had succumbed now to flesh and bone. In the arms of a manger. In the hands of strangers. That could not know just who they hold. And all fell silent for the cry of an infant. The voice of God. Was dividing history for those with eyes to see. The sun would shine from earth that night. And the angels filled the sky. All of heaven wondered why. Why their king would choose to be. Be a baby born to die. And the, 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 I love the, uh, the bridge here. To break the chains of, of guilt and sin. To find us here. To pull us in. So we could join in heaven's song. And with one voice around the throne. All the angels filled the sky. All of heaven wondered why. Why their king would choose to be a baby born to die. We understand from the Old Testament that the forgiveness of sins, being saved from both the penalty and the, and, and the, and the power and one day the presence of sin required the shedding of blood. It required a substitution, a substitutionary sacrifice, an atonement for sin. We, we learned about this reading of Abraham on Mount Moriah. And when God had called him to go as far as to be willing to sacrifice his son Isaac. And all along, Abraham would reassure his son, God will provide the lamb. God will provide the sacrifice. And we read in Genesis 2, verse 13 through 14, when God finally did provide that sacrifice in the nick of time as in a, a substitution for Isaac. We read, and Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. It was always God's plan that his son would be a substitution, a sacrifice in our place, that he would take our penalty of sin, which is death. He would be a baby who was born to die. You know, we learned pretty recently, we don't want our country run by somebody that has tunnel vision on one issue. We don't want our, our country run by a bunch of epidemiologists that their sole goal is protect us from a virus any more than we want our country run by a military general that, that has martial law because the sole goal is to keep us perfectly safe. We don't want our country run by solely an economist that all of the decisions are basically trying to keep uh, the stock market from crashing. We don't want our world run by somebody that's got tunnel vision on one symptom 
that is the result of sin. What we need, ultimately and finally, is to be saved from our sins. Saved from the penalty of sin. Saved from the consequence of sin. And eventually saved from the power as we grow in Christ and eventually the presence of sin. Being saved from that penalty and that power and the presence of sin is the summary fix of all of our troubles. You know, when I took my son to college, I think I shared with you, we, we talked about, you know, you're going you're gonna to hear that people are just oppressed and they need to be saved from oppression. Or people are, are economically downtrodden and they just need to be saved from poverty. Or people are, are suffering from low self-esteem and they just need to be saved from that. But what the truth is, what we see over and over again and what has been true since man fell in the garden is that we are sinners and we need salvation. That is the answer. That is the true answer. Let me ask you, are you one of his people? He says he came to save his people from their sins. Are you one of his people? That has been saved from the penalty of your sin by having trust in Christ in his death and his resurrection. This would mean you are being saved from the power of his sin. Uh, of, uh, his, by his presence being saved by the power of the power of your sin. And you'll be one day saved from the presence of sin. When you're in his presence for eternity. We read that then Matthew gives us a commentary statement on why Mary needed to be made pregnant. We see this in verse 22 through 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin, sh the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And you've got to love these parentheses, which means God with us. Both of these statements where you are told Long ago, one 700 years earlier in Isaiah, that the virgin will conceive and will give birth to a son. And also, his name will be called Emmanuel. My hope for you is that this emboldens you to trust your Savior, born in fulfillment of prophecy. This is, this is uh, what Matthew is going to be coming back to again and again and again. That fulfillment idea. Jesus the king because he has fulfilled all of these things. Where he says all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets. The fulfillment of prophecy. And the coming of God's kingdom is a major theme of Matthew's gospel. And here we see. It fulfilled that the impossible took place. A virgin birth. A virgin birth. A birth of a virgin. As I mentioned, this, this fulfilled a major, this, this was a major billboard announcement. The Messiah is here. For those who were able to see it. It fulfills Isaiah 7.14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. 
This prophecy was basically saying, in this one special situation, one plus zero is going to equal two. And the prophecy, as, as we read in the Jewish New Testament commentary, the God who made heaven and earth is quite capable of causing a woman to become pregnant in a way not possible in nature. And with the virgin birth, the impossible taking place, it meant that the unthinkable was begun. God with us. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This means he, the God-man walking around among us for those 30 to 33 years. This means that, that, that God would promise to be with his children. Jesus would even say, as you go and take my gospel, as you are going and you are making disciples, teaching them, baptizing them, I will be with you always to the end of the age. The God that promises to be with his children. The benefits of following him also as his disciple is to experience his special presence as we make greater and greater room for him in our lives. To know Christ as our Savior is to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Is to have God with us no matter where we are. And ultimately, we, he will finally dwell with us again. As he did originally in the garden when he created us. As the proclamation will take place foretold in Revelation 22. Behold, the dwelling of God is with man again. That is the final culmination of all of God's plan. God with us. Finally, in physical presence. The Jewish New Testament commentary also says this. There have been more than 50 messianic pretenders in the last 2,000 years of Jewish history. But none of them met the criteria laid down in the Old Testament concerning the identity of the Messiah. Whereas Jesus met all of them. All of them that were applicable to his first coming. And that first coming was as that baby in fulfillment of scriptures think of just what eight prophecies being fulfilled would mean and i can and i can talk about this because these two mathematicians they wanted to grasp the significance of fulfilled prophecy and their names were peter stoner and robert newman and they wrote a book called science speaks and the book is based on the the science of probability and peer-reviewed by the American Scientific um, affi Affiliation. And they determined the odds, and I've probably shared this with you before. They determined the odds of one man in all of history fulfilling eight prophecies as Jesus did. And the probability is one in 100 quadrillion. That's one with 17 zeros. I don't think we grasp the significance of fulfilled prophecy. And as you've probably heard me say before, this is like, and this is one in 100 quadrillion, and this is uh, their 
explanation of what this would mean. This would mean filling the entire state of Texas with quarters. And filling the entire state of Texas with quarters knee-deep. Okay? And give, taking another quarter, one quarter, so there's 100 quadrillion quarters, one quarter and marking it and giving it to a helicopter pilot and saying, go somewhere in the state of Texas and drop this quarter into those quarters and mix it up. And I am going to then walk from one end of Texas to the other, and I am going to choose one moment in knee-high deep, of course. I don't know how you'd walk through quarters, knee-high deep through the entire state of Texas. But anyways, go with me here. And at only one time, one time in the chance of 100 quadrillion, I'm going to plunge my hand into those quarters, and I'm going to grab one quarter, and it's going to be the one with the mark on it. That is the chance of one man fulfilling eight prophecies in the way that Jesus did it. But they just needed a number that we could get our minds around. Because Jesus didn't just fulfill eight of them. He fulfilled at least 60 major prophecies. And he fulfilled another 270 had actions of another 270 times that had prophetic ramifications to them. So that just, we've multiplied the one in 100 quadrillion by I don't know how many times. But they chose eight prophecies just to give us something that can wrap our, our, we can wrap our minds around. This means that Jesus truly is God with us. This is good news, people. This means that it is truly His Holy Spirit walking with you in obedience in, in, to what He promised. This means that you're truly going to experience greater depths of His presence as you obey Him, as He leads, as you obey His Word. As you lean on him in faith. As you step out in faith. Because he said. As you obey me. As you make disciples. As you move forward. I will be with you. This means that you're, we will truly. We are truly going to see him reign. In his full glory. Dwelling on this earth again. God. Completely. Physically. With us. So recall the story arc that we've talked about. We've reached the climax, the resolution. What is Joseph going to do? What if Joseph had said no? What if he decided, I don't want to be considered immoral for the rest of my life? I don't want to be considered that guy that must have knocked up his, his fiance during that year period? What if he, he decided, I don't want to raise a son that isn't my flesh and bone? What if he decided, I don't want to be able, I want to be able to name my son after myself? What if he decided that he didn't want to become out of control of his life plans? If Joseph had backed out, Jesus wouldn't have had his legal claim to David's throne. 
But we see the resolution in verses 24 through 25. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. The indication here is that Joseph said, she needs taken care of. We, we really don't know if Mary's parents at this point were like, you know what? Joseph can take care of you. But the indication here is that he's like, doesn't matter where we are in the betrothal period here, I'm going to go and get my wife. I'm going to take her into my home. I'm going to continue to be betrothed in the sense that we're not going to know each other sexually. But I'm going to take care of her because this is from God. He followed the angel's instruction soon after he woke, we saw. What if Joseph somehow figured out that the only way for Jesus to save his people from their sins was to die in paying the penalty for their sins? If you ever feel like God took your plans, totally turned them upside down, and made them into something better, Joseph can relate with you. Hepburns, you've been feeling lately like God took your plans and turned them upside down? It's something better. Even if it doesn't feel that way. Williams, do you ever feel that way? It's something better. Even if it doesn't feel that way. Arlene, big car accident. Larry at home, nursing his injuries. Joseph can identify. Life turned upside down. Some of you that have lost your spouses. It's something better. I say that in faith. I, I feel like a jerk saying it. But I say that in faith. You know, that's what God does when we let him. He makes it something better. I don't think that Joseph and Mary understood that their son was born to die. But Jesus' heavenly father did. And he still went through it. That baby was born to die. To have his body crushed. To have his blood spilt. To be raised like a Passover lamb as our perfect substitutionary sacrifice. And as I mentioned, we're going to listen to the, that song, Born to Die. But we're meditating on his death. No longer a baby, now in the prime of life. 30-some years old, having ministered on this earth for three years, having collected the followers that God the Father had for him, and faithful to the end to God's plan. And the Apostle Paul writes about it, I received from the Lord what I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Do what? Take of that bread. Crush it 
in your teeth as his body was crushed on the cross. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Because he was going to be our sacrificial lamb, spilt blood for us. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And we finally have God with us, physically. So I'm going to pray and I'm going to encourage you to stay in your seats as we, as we um, listen to this song together. And then Dan's going to come up and lead us in another song. And he'll give us plenty of time for you to go to the tables, either individually or as households or you and a friend. And partake of these elements together. Father. Even the angels were surprised. To see your plan. The plan that you. Son and Holy Spirit. Had crafted. Since eternity past. That God the Son would take the form of a baby, would be, na- would be named God is our salvation, and would be Emmanuel, God with us. And that he would live a life that positioned him perfectly to be our sacrifice. And that he would break his body and spill his blood willingly as if it wasn't somebody else doing it to him but him doing it for us Lord thank you for sending your son exactly as needed be to fulfill everything that needed to be fulfilled for him to be able to be our king and our savior Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.